Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. How you doing, Carla? Michael. It's so good to see you. Happy holidays. We're past Thanksgiving now. I it's know. It weird. feels like we've had a whole life. So I think it was like early November was the last time that we got together and recorded because we've been recording like multiple episodes at one time. Yes. So a lot has happened. Yes. I had a birthday. You did. Um, we got to go see the candlelight. That was so cool. It was beautiful. I mean, there were hundreds of fake candles. It was It was probably one of the most gorgeous events that I have been to. It was really pretty, and the, the setting was beautiful because it's that really pretty church. Yep. So that was really nice. I just went to Georgia. I went to another Vampire Diaries convention. Yeah. Super exciting. We got to meet Nina Dobrev. And Who still looks fucking amazing. I, I'm going to tell you, she is absolutely beautiful. All of them are. angry. But she is really beautiful, like hasn't aged very much, and she hasn't done a convention I think since she quit Vampire Diaries. For real. Yeah. And so we got to, you know, mosey around Atlanta. So that was a lot of fun. And Michael, like you guys have a lot of exciting stuff going on Holy too. Holy shit. Yeah. We've got, so yeah, for our listeners, both me and my husband are leaving our corporate day jobs. I had some time ago just for like a little sabbatical, but then the plan had kind of been, I'll jump back into whatever work I need to jump back into. And I, d- I don't want to. <laughs> and, and now he's getting ready to take the same journey. But the way that it's looking this next year, that's just not going to be a problem. We have plenty of business coming our way and we get to work for ourselves instead of for some corporate whatever, whatever. And that feels good. We'll see what happens. Like I'm trying not to get too excited about it. I'm trying to have a very realistic mindset about the whole thing. I'm going to tell you that we can use the quote, we'll see what happens, but not for like the nervous (laughs) energy that you're having. I'm talking about for the rest of us, like we are about to see what happens because it is about to be fucking fabulous. I hope so. So that's why I I caught that on recordings. Yeah. I'm just going to, if I ever need to, I'm going to quote these. Yeah. So it's going to be fabulous. I'm super excited for all the things that you have going on. What are your plans for the holidays? Anything exciting? So uh, kind of quiet for the holidays, I think, for us. We're going to do Christmas just here with us and all the fur babies, which mm. is plenty. We've got five furs and four fowls and then two human weirdos. I think for New Year's, we might do just kind of like an open gathering. If people want to stop by, they can. We're going to just make it PJ themed too. So like oh, people literally cute. just come over in whatever PJs I fully intend on wearing my Harry Potter pajama bottoms with my Britney Spears t-shirt. So love it. Which just feels appropriate for today's conversation, Carla. I have been waiting. I have been waiting. <laughs> I cannot fucking wait. I just so for me I, I wanted to do, and this this episode is aptly titled "It's Britney Bitches" because hey, bitches, um, yeah, so, like we're doing all that. But also, I was really adamant about making sure that I waited until she got to tell her side of the story. And so when she put out sure. her memoir in October earlier this year, like it felt like it was the right time. It felt like it was time to finally go into this because there is legitimately 
some true crime shenanigans going down here, Carla. As I was researching this, I knew I've been a Britney fan for life. Like we were talking when I was a child, I had my entire room was covered in Britney Spears posters, which probably really should have made my parents nervous. They they had to have been thinking to themselves, this is going to go one of two ways. <laughs> either, I mean, yeah, okay, that's fair. Either, one of two ways, either, you're right. Either I needed our, to think that through a little either, bit. Either our son has a real problem right. with wanting to see women in crop tops and is doing things with these posters that we don't want to know about. Right. <laughs> or our son is a flaming homosexual. <laughs> and, and lucky, oh, lucky for me was. and the rest of the world, it was <laughs> the second one. So. <laughs> it's funny because I love Britney Spears. I have not been as big of a fan yeah. as you and like one of our other friends. Yeah. I do love Britney Spears. I think some of her edgier music is some of my favorite. Yeah. Um, I also, I, th- I think we just need to throw out here, like, this is going to be definitely, if you have not read her biography and you're waiting to read that, like, this is going to be 100% spoilers. So if you haven't read it and you're waiting to read it, skip this episode, come back later. If you have read it and you're ready to, like, talk about it, we about to talk about it. Because I have all the opinions. Michael and I and were we, texting each other novels we are, while we like, were reading these books. I'm going to do my best to stick to the facts because it's the one advice that my husband gave me about this was that yeah. don't get emotional. Like part of what you and Carla do is really trying to look at these things objectively. Often we have different viewpoints right. on the outcome of these things, but I think you and I are pretty aligned on some of the skeezy Where things. Where was he for my here. Scott Peterson episode? So dear, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go back and listen, that's, friends. That's why he gave that advice. <laughs> I know. So, you know, for me, I'm going to try to stick to the facts, but then at the end, if if you listeners will indulge me, I will go into my opinions a little bit about what what I think is going down as someone that's been following her for a long time and feel. Like, I, I probably have my finger on the pulse a little bit more so than the average lay person out in American society does. But it's, we don't have to go down that road. We don't have to go down this Willy Wonka topsy-turvy road to see the crazy shit that went down in this. So it's funny because this will definitely be an episode, like, spoiler alert, kids, this will definitely be an episode where Michael and Carla do not always agree on things. And, like, you and yeah, I have talked about- I know there are certain things About that, Brittany that, like, we feel differently- yep. And it, I think it's because like some of it, it's some of it is our background. Some of it is my background with craziness, and some of it is your background with craziness, and coming from different viewpoints. Yeah. And so like seeing some of the situation differently. So I cannot wait to talk about it. So did you read the actual book? I listened to the audiobook. So I did both. I okay. listened to the book and I've read it, and I've also tons of sources for yeah. today. This is one of the most famous people on the planet, even for still sure. today. She's got tons of info, but I would highly encourage when it comes to something this sensitive, when we are talking about this kind of abuse from someone close in your family, I just think it's really, really important to to get all sides of the story. What I will say going into this, just as like the spoiler to our listeners, I think one of the questions on everyone's mind is like, is Brittany okay? And I just want to shut this down at the very beginning because she's told us as much. No. She is not. She has said it in her court testimony. She said it in her book. She has said it all over Instagram and Twitter and all that. She she was purportedly abused for nearly 14 years in a in a guardianship that was really unsavory. She's not okay. So like to people that are out there thinking that just because I'm I'm a super fan and I will continue to buy her records, I will continue to support her. I just I I don't know. We all have that like artists that we attach ourselves to 
I don't think that has to be me saying that I think that everything's okay in Toontown. I don't think that's quite what's going on. Yeah. But I think two things can be true. I think a person can have gone through some really horrible shit and can be legitimately mentally unwell, but still capable and deserving of living their own life. Yes. You you are that is within our boundaries. This is yes. the thing that Michael and Carla will definitely agree about. Yes. I don't think that she's okay. Yeah. I think she has said that she yep, isn't. She has. But I th- also think she will be okay. It I is hope going so. to take her some time, but she will be okay. And her okay may look different than our okay. That's right. And, and well, that's okay. That's right. <laughs> so what I want to do today, and again, try, try to keep to it. I'm trying to keep my super fandom out and yes. trying to keep my like podcast host hat Love on. It. So what I want to do is go through her early life and success because yep. there's a reason that everyone knows the name Britney Spears. Then I want to get into, of course, the conservatorship and its entire timeline and then spend a little bit of time at the end talking about post-conservatorship and some of the fallout of all of the shenanigans. Because really, that's kind of the true crime aspect of it. Mm-hmm. As of this date, no one has been convicted of any crimes. But Carla, there are some crimes in here. Oh, some yeah. gross, abusive, negligent, messed up, messing with your head shenanigans that went on in this story. And we can talk about it later because I think you're going to touch on it. I think there are more crimes than what she fully talked about. Oh, 100%. There are definitely stories behind the story yes. that We will get happened. into in the last part about some of the speculation yeah. and why some of those things haven't been made more public, or at least my theories on why they haven't been made more public. But for now, let's start at a very happy place that started back in 1981. I would love to dive into just a little bit of the early life of Britney Spears to to get us going. Are you ready, Carla? Let's do it. Let's do it. It's Britney, bitches. It's Britney, bitch. Oops, I did it again. You better work. <laughs> That's right. What was it? There's a meme out there somewhere that was just like, when Britney released the song Work, Bitch, the unemployment rate in the United States was something like 8%. And a year after it was released, it was down to 4%. And the guy was just like, coincidence? So I have to say this. Before I read Britney's autobiography, a couple of months, maybe a month or so before, Cody Rigsby, my absolute favorite yeah. um, Peloton instructor. It's on my list, though. It's so good. He is a huge Britney fan, which is also like – why you guys would be best friends, which is also like why I would be best friends with Cody Rigsby. Cody, How- come be best friends with us. Yes. Listen to our podcast. Come be besties. Come hang out with I'll us on Pensacola, and everything. But he – it's a famous line like in all of his rides. If he plays Britney, he's like, hey, it's time to fuck shit up. Yeah. Like you know if a Britney song comes on, we are about to climb That's for right. the next – Four and a half minutes. That's right. It's about to be mud. We're going to sweat. Some of us may die there. Oh, my like God. Like, we may never come back. Um, so I just had to – an ode to Cody because he loves our girl Brittany so much. For now, let me get started and take us all the way back to 1981. We're specifically going back to December 2nd of 1981, where in Macomb, Mississippi, Brittany Jean Spears was born. She would be born to her father, James Spears, and her mother, Lynn Spears. They would very shortly after move to Kentwood, Louisiana. So they kind of traded small town for small town. They weren't a super successful family in the beginning. A lot of what Brittany discusses in her memoir is that both mom and dad often had multiple gigs to try to hold things down. 
that Jamie had had multiple restaurants, multiple businesses, multiple bankruptcies. And they would have times where life was really good and they'd have times where life wasn't so good. But regardless of any of those details, where we start our story is that from the very beginning, Britney Spears was a precocious little girl. And it was clear to her relatives that she was going to be something. None of them knew, most especially Brittany, what that something was going to be, but she was going to be something. And they almost couldn't stop her. Like a lot of what came out in the book, but also in previous stories, this is not her first book. She's penned two others with her mom that came out when she was more popular at the beginning of oh, her career. Oh, I didn't even realize yeah, that. Yeah, it's like A Mother's Heart was one. And oh, I yeah, yeah. Remember, now that one, I didn't remember. I can't remember the other one, but it like she she did a couple of them with her mom that were really successful at the time because she was the literally the biggest star in the world. And... Uh, all of them kind of came around that, that she liked to show off. And if you talk to her cousins, to her teachers in school, several unofficial biographies in the past have interviewed these people and just said, like, she just had some star power. And right or wrong, she kind of drove the bus on some of these shenanigans. Like, she wanted to get into show business. And so mom and dad were just kind of along for the ride. Right. Later, we'll get into some of the more controversial stuff where it felt like mom and dad were driving more and Brittany was driving less. But at least at the beginning of this, they will say, and she will back up, I wanted to be on stage. I was never more at home than when I was performing. And she grew up, by the way, in like the golden era of entertainment. Yes. Like, she grew up listening to... Paulo Abdul, Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey was just coming out onto the scene, Madonna, of course. She got to grow up listening to these just really powerhouse dynamite women that also, not so unlike her future style, were really big into the choreography. They wanted a whole production. It wasn't just the voice. It was the whole show. I think, too, what's interesting about that time and age is people were being plucked off the street, right? Especially like young actresses and stuff like that, you could go to different shows or model runway things and be plucked and go and and be a a big model for for cover girl for Disney, different things like that. I'm thinking about like Tiffany who like toured in malls and there really was a lot of this where people were just being plucked out of thin air essentially um, and brought to stardom. It was the precursor to the modern digital time. Yeah. Like we weren't there yet, but information, including music, was starting to become far more readily available. It was no longer, I have to go buy a record. I have to take it home to my record player. And it even got past the point where I needed a tape deck. Things like Walkmans were starting to come out and then CDs and music was becoming much more portable. It's something we don't even think about now because all of us have miniature computers just sitting in our pockets, right? And so we can have thousands of hours of music on any given device and never have to think about it. But that is not when this woman was coming up. She was coming up at a time where you had to physically go to a store and buy records. Yeah. Or you had to request it on the radio and then just wait around and record hoping it. to hear it and press record on your tape deck. Correct. <laughs> you know? I mean, the other thing is like, you know, we think about like all of us in our pajamas, you know, waiting to yes. get a like Taylor Swift ticket or something like yeah. that. Back then we would be waiting at midnight at our Walmart for an album release. Or a book release. Like back in the day too, yeah. like I remember um, showing up to like a Barnes & Noble for the midnight Harry Potter book releases. Yeah, or Lord we of the did Rings some um, video games when when the kids uh. were little. Like we did 
we would show up, you know, at midnight releases and they would give out, you know, special things or whatever. So it was this weird in-between time that yeah. she was starting to come out. But this is before any of that. So mm-hmm. very early on in her childhood, we are talking, she is already trying to go audition for things as early as eight years old, according to some reports. Wow. Now, she didn't actually book her first gig until she was closer to 10 or 11, to be fair. But the first time that she would try out for the Mickey Mouse Club, blast from the freaking past james and lynn for whatever it's worth realized our little girl wants to put on a show who better to put on a show for than disney right and all of this amazing talent had been cycling through the mickey mouse club they had brought back you know the new mickey mouse club and it was ushering on to the world stage this new uh, generation of stars Brittany wanted to be part of that So she tried out for the first time when she was eight years old and was just basically told, you're too young. Like, we see something in you, but you are too young. You're not ready for this. And to be fair, most of the other kids were like 11, 12, 13. So she really was too too young. So Brittany, for these first couple of years, tried to live a normal life in Louisiana. She would, however, still get partnered up with some talent agencies up in New York that thought this girl has something to her. And her big breaks... I say breaks plural because they kind of came all at once, would come at 11 years old when she retried out for the Mickey Mouse Club and she made it. And she would be put in a class of people including Ryan Gosling, Carrie Russell, J.C. Chazay from NSYNC. Whom else am I forgetting? Uh, Justin Timberlake. I mean, just a massive litany of stars that she got in there. That same year, and it was actually earlier that year, she landed her first off-Broadway gig. So she wasn't the lead, but she was the understudy to the lead that's where she actually became friends with natalie portman they were both the understudy to this lead actress on this off-broadway show ruthless so she literally had her off-broadway debut at 11 years old doing this shenanigans and then landed the mickey mouse club later that same year with all of these people that would later be these massive stars now i obviously knew carrie russell well okay i shouldn't say obviously knew i think i had forgotten about carrie yeah, russell publicity yeah i definitely forgot about ryan gosling ryan gosling was in that same i completely forgot about that so there's and adjacent to this but i just recently watched with her memoir coming out some audition tape resurfaced of britney trying out for the notebook where she would have oh yes yes and she made it to the final two it was down to britney and rachel mcadams rachel mcadams rachel mcadams was the girl in the big bit and they even said like rachel was brilliant yeah but they had said like we wish we would have had another part to give britney yeah because her her screen test was so good so she she lands the Mickey Mouse Club is the the really big part of it. And she would credit this as being just one of the most fun parts of her life. Like it was hard work. She did all of the kids had to drop out of school. You go through some sort of private home study. So she actually finished her high school career through an online university, but would continue to make the Mickey Mouse Club until it was canceled in 1994. So she only got to be on two seasons of that. After that, she largely went back to Kentwood, Louisiana and tried to live a normal life. She says that she played basketball, went to homecoming, did all of these normal kid things and tried to convince herself, this is where I want to be. But at some point realized, I'm bored. I can't do this. Like, I, I need to get out there. And so they started trying to pitch Britney as a, a person that could go on tour as a musical act, someone that could sing and dance and almost do a variety show kind of thing. Britney at the time was recording songs by Whitney Houston. And when I say recording, she was doing demos for the studios of these. She had a much 
uh, lower, fuller, richer voice than what we know today of like her kind of nasally baby voice that's all fried that she puts on. They would say that that was later honed in the studio. But for when she was auditioning to these things, when she showed up to Jive, now RCA Records, she came in there literally just with this demo and the record executives just said she had the eye of the tiger about her, that this wasn't necessarily the best voice they had ever heard. This was someone that clearly had drive and vision to make this big, and she just had this it star power. And they signed her that day as a 15-year-old girl walking into their studios signed her that day. I'm telling you, Michael, you have hired a lot of people over the year. I have hired hundreds of people in my career, and I will hire fire in the belly over talent yes. any day of the week. There are a million people out there who yes. have degrees and papers and certifications and experience. But if you have drive, if you have fire in the belly, that is going to – that's going to get somebody excited. I yeah. will hire that 18 times over. There seemed to be something else there too, and you'll see this is pervasive and she was in her – Well, of course. She was also nice. Like yeah. they they just talk about like everyone that has ever met this woman professionally is like she is just one of the kindest, sweetest people you've ever met. And I think that that probably served her right. well, too, because we have this talented, driven person that also is going to talk to me like a human being. The record executives loved all of that and thought that honestly it would sell really well. So she gets a deal, and they immediately start working on her first album. They ship her overseas. They hook her up with this new Swedish producer named Max Martin that now rules the airwaves all these years later. Go figure out how many of your favorite songs have been written and or produced in some form or fashion by Max Martin. It's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. He's all over the place. But at this time, he was, he was nothing, and he loved Britney's voice. He loved her entire vibe, and... Late in 1998, the lead single from what would be her debut album came, and with three notes from a piano, a revolution was started. With that simple, at the beginning of Baby One More Time, everyone knew what was about to go down. Her debut album was instantly a hit. She became the youngest person in history to have a single and their album go number one at the same time. Within two months, it had gone two times platinum. Within a year, it had gone seven times platinum. And within two years, it had sold something close to 25 million albums worldwide, solidifying her for, at least in this moment, the singular biggest star in the world. So like 1998, I was a few years away from high school graduation. Yeah. So I was pretty far. In. Now at that point, I mean, I, like I said, I, I enjoyed pop. But like at that point in time, I was really into like alternative and and maybe a little bit like edgier for my female artists. I was more yeah. like a Michelle Branch yeah. or Avril Lavigne. That was than, the stuff that was big. Like it's Brady one of the reasons was, that like a – Pop in general. Yeah. It was one of the reasons I think like a Britney and Christina is often lumped in this too. Mm -hmm. We're really credited on the female side of the house for for bringing back in kind of like a, a more mm -hmm. bubblegum feel to it because it had it. It had all gone a little bit in it. the 90s. Like it was good. Like it was a it was a uh it was a good hit. It yeah. was a good a good bump. And I remember looking at some of her shows and concerts because obviously like she would come to Louisiana sometimes, and, and we're not that far from Louisiana. But I mean, I remember like she was hot and she stayed hot really up in, until the last few years. 
by the time Britney released Oops, I Did It Again, she sold a million and a half copies of that in a week. Yeah. In a week. It, it was insane. This. It was just insane. So what started on the first album continued through the second album. It really was mm-hmm. bubblegum pop, even though Oops, I Did It Again had the little right. line of I'm not that innocent. It was almost done in this I'm playful not. way. It's this little girl that's dancing in a cat suit. You know, at the time she was 18 years old. Right. As with many artists, though, her persona starts changing a little bit as she's further along into her career. Her third album, Britney, was a noticeable departure. While it still had some of that bubblegum poppiness, it started to have a little bit more grit and R&B to it. She was cursing on the album. She was definitely wearing more suggestive outfits. And quite frankly, she's just a woman growing up in front of the whole world. She just went from being a teenager to now someone in her 20s. Of course, she wants to experiment with some of these different sounds and with a different look and portray something that isn't so innocent little girl. She wants to portray something that's more her age. But the world started taking notice. Yeah. Well, and for me, I was a year younger than Britney. Obviously, a few years older than Michael. So (laughs) I was ready for her to move into that more mature space. And it's funny because Brittany and I's kids are not too far off either. Hers are right in between your two. Yeah, we were were moms also at the, the same types of age and stuff like that. So like I was really here for her to live some of her life and go through some of those pieces of it. But it it was. I mean, she was growing up right before our eyes. Even the third album, to a large extent, like I think the most controversial thing off the third album was the lead single, I'm a Slave for You. I love that video, but it was such a departure from the sound people had been used to. And because she had already started to dress more suggestively, now her sound was going there, just the media rumors fly and everything. But I... I didn't feel like compared to In The Zone, which was her fourth album, and around the time that life really started to get rocky for her. Like that was the first album that she had full production control of. She co-wrote more than half the album. This was her baby and it was a noticeably more adult sound. It felt like this was her saying, I am a woman. You are going to feel the weight of my sexuality and my goddessness. Hear me roar sort of thing. So this led to the infamous very quick 55-hour marriage to a childhood friend. Doesn't everybody need that, though? I like, mean, isn't that like a rite of passage that everybody should get married for like a quick I just, minute and I then move on? Like it got overblown because of how big she was. But I think the more famous marriage that really led to the big downfall was to a dancer of hers named Kevin Federline. Mm-hmm. Along with many other things that happened as In The Zone was reaching the top of the charts. And by the way, it did. It would become her fourth album to debut at number one. At this point in her career, she's already sold something like 60 million albums worldwide at 22, 23 years old. <laughs> yeah. She lived a lot of life too. So yeah. like- You are going to Kevin Federline, but there was a whole – because obviously we can't be here for 19 hours. But, like, there were people that she dated throughout that. There was, you know, the whole – There was, yeah, Colin Farrell. There was – She dated Wade – Wade Robeson. Yeah. Her, and she actually revealed in the in her memoir she actually had an affair on Justin Timberlake with Wade Robeson. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. It was this time of, like, her getting married, her – getting in trouble and going out and partying with Lindsay Lohan, with yeah. Paris Hilton. Her and Paris Hilton, they can look back on it with such fondness now. But back in the day, that would like, be tabloid Ooh. news. You know, if you yeah. saw a picture of Britney and, and Paris together, heaven forbid, the, the holy trinity, Paris, Britney, and Lindsay, people just knew trouble was going down. 
So the thing about Wade, which, you know, if we want to get canceled, we'll talk about one day in a, in a real oh, episode. Yeah. But, you know, he was Michael one Jackson. of the men yeah, who came out, Michael Jackson, yeah. in the Leaving Neverland documentary yeah. with Oprah Winfrey. I remember hearing about it. I would love to talk about that one day. There are so many opinions that so we for real might get canceled. All of these that. abused kids <laughs> in Hollywood. I tell you what. Yeah. So anyways, okay. Kevin Federline. So she meets Kevin. And I can just not like looking at him now. I cannot imagine. Uh, but back then, his, like, I remember young Kevin. Overgrown, freaking young Kevin though. Have yeah, you seen yeah. pictures of him? Oh, I like, remember. Look up I mean, Kevin Federline, re- 20, 2004. I remember him. I'm gonna do it again just to like refresh my because memory. he was drip drip hot. Like mm-hmm. he was so sexy back in the day. I get it. I, okay. Brittany, I get it. He There's, has some lips. Like I, I just see it. There def- definitely was. He's got a great smile. Like he he was a dancer, so he, you know, obviously for a lot oh, of years he did, had a body. You're right. Body. He knew how to move. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just I get it. I get it. But many people say that this like started to be the beginning of Britney's downfall. She would have two children with him. All of this started to get some public attention. I I think that some of the more famous times that people remember the infamous times rather of Britney walking into like a gas station bathroom barefoot. Um, there are images. She was thrown- country. Like, let's just be real. Country. Okay. Louisiana. I know Kent with that Louisiana. walking into a bathroom is not appropriate. Okay. I tell people all the time, I am not country. Okay. Now, that being said, I know friends who walk in parking lots yes. downtown with bare feet because they are country and have walked into gas stations because they are country like that's how they they grew up barefoot it doesn't bother them they like walked on farms stepped in you know animal feces and just moved along and get and you know what for the record they're alive so she's just country she came from louisiana and mississippi then there was the more controversial and unfortunately paparazzi were constantly following around at this point they snapped a shot of her you know tripping and then correcting, and by the way, catching her baby. Like, she makes that point in the memoir. She was like, no one got dropped, friends. Oh, <laughs> you know? okay. So I'm thinking about her driving in the car with the baby. Oh, no. So that was true, too. So yeah, she yeah. almost dropped the baby in one picture. And then there was another famous, infamous photo of her with her baby on her lap. Okay. I would say this. The, like, safety first. And I definitely don't endorse it. But again, she's country. She's okay? country. And she Macomb, grew up in the 80s. Kentwood, Louisiana. We didn't have seatbelts. Okay. Nah. For for some of the 80s, they came later. Okay, but even when like I can remember road trips in the early 90s, we were talking about this the other day. My mom would take the seats out of the van, leave them at our house, and we would make pallets in the back of our van, and we would drive to Minnesota from Florida to Minnesota that way. Yeah. If my mom had slammed on the brakes, we would have all been through the windshield and sprayed out on the highway. So not to say that Brittany was wrong because she was wrong. I think she was – also, she was a very young mom. We make a lot of mistakes when we're that young. We just don't know. And I think she was fearful, the paparazzi. But I just just chucked it up like that was a dumb decision, boo-boo. Don't make it again and let's just all move along. Like imagine the scrutiny that your mom or your nana had on you. Multiply that times a billion. Because that like literally everyone in the world knows this woman's name. And you don't get to make a mistake. Everything that you do is automatically scrutinized and put in papers and put on television. And people have all of these opinions about you when they, by the way, never actually met you. Michael, I literally do not know how my oldest child survived me. And I don't know how I survived him. Like we 100% grew up together. I would go to places and literally not have diapers because I would forget them. Like I'm a very forgetful person. 
And so I would not be prepared. I did lots of, I mean, I can remember like him being two years old and me dragging him through our quadplex parking lot by his hands, like dragging him across the concrete because I was too pregnant with my second child to pick him up and he was throwing a temper tantrum. If the paparazzi would have been surrounding me right now, I probably would have been in jail. Which is why, but like, it was we were just it was just a normal moment. When you see things like now, now I look at like the umbrella incident. So I think the, you know a couple of the other really famous things that led to Brittany being hospitalized and eventually being put into this conservatorship. She was starting to feel the pressure of like everyone pushing on her and just wanted to rebel. So she went and she shaved her head, and that video was seen round the world that was the shot heard round the world of, now, like, there was literally... a lot of things that she did that yes. i wasn't too worried about her but i'm gonna tell you that was when she shaved her head i knew she was feeling it after that too like right after yeah was the umbrella incident where she attacked the paparazzo no no, with... no they deserve that, that with, uh, I, didn't... I too i didn't yeah. say it was bad no no yeah you're right <laughs> yeah. they deserve that now but when she sh- like i just want people to know there's a uh old show on mtv they used to call it uh girl code yeah Oh, and they talked show. about like <laughs> if a woman changes like drastically changes her hair color or her hairstyle, she is going through some shit. Yeah. Like so when she shaved her head, she was really saying I honestly feel like, and I know this is just being dramatic, but it's how women feel about their hair. It's very symbolic to us. It I don't know. My hair means as much to me as my body parts do. Well, and so I would have a harder time shaving my head than I would have in my breasts cut off. Like I'm very attached to my hair. It is one of the things that I feel like is very beautiful on me. I, I talked to one of our, my friends about this not that long ago and it is, it's very personal. So like when she took the motion to actually shave her head, I knew that she was in trouble. Not that she needed to be put somewhere against her will, but I think she very realistically was saying, I do need some help. Like things are getting out of control and overwhelmed, but that doesn't mean that like you that she needed to be institutionalized and that she was going through some shit. It's a big part of this female pop girl persona. And she's just like, bye, all these famous blonde locks, these blonde locks that have sold millions. I'm done with this shit. And instead of, I think, realizing it for the cry for help it was, there were some people that, even if it was innocently intended at the time, were there very much ready to pounce. And I'll just say there was something about that time error and how they went for w- women, especially young women. Not that long ago, Tara Reid came to a convention here yes. in town. And I – She I, was kind of a contemporary of that era too actually. So she talks about Treated how – like shit. She really was not – and it, it's so funny to look back on it. And remember her as this party girl, right? That's what that was the whole thing. Well, she thing. probably partied like four times in her entire she life, but all four of them were caught on film. Yes. <laughs> she literally talks about how that was a completely made up thing by and, and with with some proof behind it, right? Of course. It was a completely made up thing by the media. And I'm reading this article and I'm like, holy shit. I myself have like said this, like, oh, Tara Reed, like she's that party girl or whatever. Or like thinking about like her and Carson Daly and how like he got away with looking like this superior human being and she looked like a party girl when they broke up. Really, he was 10 years older than she was and she was young. And she went out a couple of times and the paparazzi got it and yet she's this party kid. And I'm like, well, shit, if the paparazzi caught me, I'd be – God only knows what they would say. So it is something that we really did to women in that time frame and it sucks so bad and it's so interesting 
to go back and think about some of these cases or some of these situations with totally different eyes on how the media got us. Like, it really got us. I would say that that's even true in how they treated like a Britney and a Justin. So now we know from Britney's memoir that, it, well, let me back up. First, how this was portrayed in the media was that Britney was in this powerhouse relationship and they break up. What breaks publicly is that Britney cheated on him. What we would find out later is that he cheated on her a ton of times, but it was almost like he couldn't handle the one time that she cheated on him back. Which is very normal. And that's, I, that's uh, a very normal thing in most relationships. Men just generally do not. It's that's it's not their forgiving stance. Women often forgive men, you know, yeah. and, and that's that's totally a thing. And I'm not trying to make a commentary on Justin. I no, love Justin Timberlake. Not. I think he's a great actor. I think he's a great musician. I, I think they were both young and dumb. And by the way, 100%. the grace that she has toward him and yes. her memoir, I thought was really good. Like she calls out some stuff, but never talks about him unkindly. She almost talks about it like she misses it. Like she misses, like their she friendship. had this person. Well, their friendship, but I mean, think about it. No one at the time, there were no two more famous people in the world. And at least they had each other. Yeah. Like they couldn't relate to the rest of the world. The rest of the world couldn't relate to them, but they could relate to each other. And then both of them lost that. He gets to go on and have this career, and when she's getting ready to put out what she calls the work that she's most proud of in her entire career, and by the way, I agree with her, I think Blackout is her best album, mm -hmm. she's made into a pariah. All of her public problems were mounting, right. and it wasn't just the media that took notice, it was also her family. And I really do think at the beginning of this, she needed help, and her family, when it was most important came in and said, hey, to some extent, we think we can help and here's how we're going to do it. In January of 2008, Brittany was put into an emergency hospitalization. She was involuntarily hospitalized under a psychiatric hold. And this happened twice in pretty short succession in California. One of them involved her kids, like basically because her breakdown was becoming kind of public, that now not only her family, but her soon-to-be ex-husband was capitalizing this on, on this as well and was petitioning to get primary custody of her kids. So the thing that put her into her second hospitalization was she realized what was happening as people started showing up to her California home and there were helicopters overhead. She realizes something is terribly wrong and just locks herself in her bathroom with her boys. She never hurt them. But because she decided to try to, like, stay with her boys, she was put under a psychiatric hold. And that's ultimately what started this whole conservatorship. She shaved her head. Her ex-husband was trying to take her kids from her. And she she had a break. And the price that she paid for it was not having freedom for the next 14 years. And she lost her kids. I mean, really, like, at she that did. point, she lost true custody of her she kids. She, she lost... She could only have um, supervised supervised visitation. Which them. is just, I don't think she was anywhere close to a shitty parent. I obviously think that she was going through something. And I do yeah. think that she needed some help. And sometimes when you're a mom, you know, you don't get to, to focus on yourself. So like there may even have been a point in time where she knew that she needed someone else to take the kids. And that, that was probably okay. But for her to have lost them permanently and really even for – I've seen other cases with people who are suffering with with actual with actually not just like 
a mental break, but but true mental illness yes. that they're never going to recover from, yeah. that, that they have and have to work with their whole life, their children are not taken from them. No. And so, and, and they shouldn't be, like, it, unless it's needed, right? Like, I do think, like, in this case, you need to think about, like, what is best for the children, which is essentially what family courts should be doing. Not what is best for Brittany, not what is best for Kevin, but what is best for those kids. And I have a hard time believing that any judge looked at that. And and the guardianship, for sure, and we'll talk about it when we get to there, but it's unfortunate that she lost her kids in this. Well, it's a good segue, Chris. That's, that's really where we're at. So she was put into the emergency hospitalization after that incident with her kids in January of 2008, that same week. She was put under what they call a temporary conservatorship. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the language, a conservatorship is just another word for a guardianship and typically is put in place in a couple of different situations. Let's say that I would have grown up and my parents weren't found capable of taking care of me, but I had an aunt or grandma or some other close family member that had said, you know what, I'm willing so that this person doesn't have to go be in the state program for this. I'm going to take them on. They will assign them as their court-appointed guardian or conservator. The other instance this happens in is at the other end of life, right? When someone's very old, and it tends to happen with people that are really wealthy. So if you have an estate that is millions and millions of dollars, and you no longer have the capacity to manage that, well, the fact is, if you're that wealthy, and especially if you have some sort of estate, lots of people's lives and livelihoods depend on you being able to manage your money in your estate appropriately. So when you lose the ability to do that, the court will say, all of that is still yours, Carlo von Bolin, but we're going to appoint someone that's going to help you manage it. And often it is not just a singular person. Often it is like they'll put a trust or a bank in place there. And there are also two kinds, at least in California. It's a little different state by state. But there is what they call conservatorship or guardianship of the person and then conservatorship or guardianship of the estate. So often when you see this, not many people get both. And if they do, it's because they are at a a really diminished state. They literally cannot make decisions. I was going to say, yeah, like someone who mentally is not capable, even like who often physically too. Yeah, physically or mentally capable to take care of themselves. That's right. Um, so, and it's normally something severe. It's not something like someone who has like bipolar or schizophrenia. It has to be someone who can literally not be capable. That's right. Of making almost any types of decisions. So, what's weird about this is I feel like the public opinion on this at the time was actually really positive. And right. some of this, her family came out with a statement that I feel like sounds legitimate. Like even as I'm looking back on it, and I'm not a fan of her family, she's not a fan of her family. But they gave this quote when she was first put under the temporary conservatorship in January of 2008. Quote, we are deeply concerned about our daughter's safety and vulnerability, and we believe her life is presently at risk. There are conservatorship orders in place created to protect our daughter that are being blatantly disregarded. We ask only that the court's orders be enforced so that a tragedy may be averted. So, you know, they had tried to put this in place. Britney's still out doing all of these public shenanigans. In fact, I think one of the more famous shots of Britney was taken when she was technically under this temporary conservatorship. And so her family seeing this just started tightening the belt even more. And something that was supposed to be temporary, but by February of 2008, the temporary conservatorship is made permanent for all intents and purposes. Her family is still promising internally, we will unravel this by the end of the year. But in the eyes of the court, it went from being a temporary conservatorship to a permanent one. 
this is what is insane. So, Michael, you obviously know this, but I am a legal guardian in the state of Florida. I went through my certification right. yeah. to to be a conservator or a guardian for um, For the kids that you birthed, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so strange. So the silly thing. Florida, come on, yeah. DeSantis, so, get it together. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had to take some guardianship classes. And it's interesting because they are very clear yeah. that in order to have like real conservatorship over – someone's physical being it, in fact the lawyer who helped me establish it said like this could be very expensive because you could need notes from your doctor and you know things like that which of course this wasn't the situation that i was looking to to provide so i did i didn't need any of those things but yeah you have to and obviously this is florida and not california however it's not so far off no all of them are just little right, variations right there the are some thing. variations it is very clear that guardianship or conservatorship is the very last step there are lots of steps so her family could have stepped in and just been over the money and like temporarily there to help make some decisions or provide some guidance like they did not have to completely take over someone's entire physical life. well-being when she clearly can make decisions the thing is is there are supposed to be checks and balances right yes. no one should be able to be like michael i'm going to come take conservatorship over you and there's no checks and balance so there are so many people to blame for that happening from her family to whatever doctor signed off i would even say like judges and lawyers involved like heads should be rolling it, it is just makes me furious well and it was so hard because it was so publicly supported right like people were celebrating this even at the time i remember my little young brain being like does no one think this is wonky like homegirl just had a couple of bad months right. and now and now her entire life's over like no one's questioning this but they didn't in fact Many people do not know that the conservatorship was actually put in place in 2008. Most people are just like, yeah, they just swept in and helped her. I don't and think we understood the, the, what it really meant. We didn't think that they were going to be making metal, like that they weren't like some of the decisions that they made. I think we just thought they were going to come in and help. Like, honestly, I think most, most people, when you say guardianship or conservatorship, you think fiscally. You do not think physically. And all of it, you think helping the person. Right. Like, it's like, let's help you get back on your feet. Because I'm going to get, presumably, like, so. and we actually do know this already. Like, Brittany had already bought her family. Like, she built a mansion for right. her mother. Like, she's already taken care of you. You wouldn't think that they would have any incentive to take over her life just to get her back on her feet. Like, this, I don't want to take person, over my children's lives. No. I, I don't think a lot of people did know because life largely went on as normal. After all, within months of being placed into... This conservatorship, she was booked on one of the most popular television shows at the time, How I Met Your Mother. She releases a new album, Circus, which would debut at number one. The one lead of my single favorite. of it would debut at number one, Womanizer. The album would go on to sell nearly four million copies in the United States alone. And she went on an international tour that grossed nearly $200 million. This woman that is supposedly incapable of running her own life. Right starred in a TV show, released an album, and produced one of the highest grossing tours of the year. Shit, lock us up, Michael. Shoot, lock us up, Carla. <laughs> so life goes on like this for a very long time. Britney goes all the way through her circus album. The, the tour is a huge success. She would later 
released the album Femme Fatale. This was around 2011-2012 timeframe. It would become one of her most radio-friendly albums ever. She had multiple top 20 hits off of it. She starts dating again within the conservatorship. She starts dating specifically a gentleman named Jason Trawick. She describes their relationship in her memoir, by the way, really positively, that ultimately mm -hmm. what broke them up wasn't that they had a bad relationship. It was that he was almost overly protective of her. I do find it weird. He was actually, it was in the works to appoint him as her co-conservator. Like, as her husband, he would have been able to have control over her person and her finances. That is and my literal nightmare. This is, so um, an attorney named Jeffrey Cohen uh, gave a quote to People Magazine when they were doing some research about it in one of the, the articles that I read and saying this is a very unusual situation. That was a quote because generally you don't see conservatives get married. Duh. Right. That's such a huge conflict of interest. They, like, they, they cannot function by themselves on their own. That's like, right. They're physical. If you're so we're going to let this person get married? Or like, a guardianship, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's the whole thing, right? If you're just financially over someone's money – until a certain time period that they can then make decisions. But if you're over their physical being, it's because they cannot make any decisions for themselves. And the other thing is that I'll just say is like there are so many rules on a conservatorship too. Yes. There's a ton of guidelines that you have to follow, a ton of paperwork that's involved with it. And most of the time, especially in a case like this, they would encourage you for it not to be someone like that's right. familial. Have it be a completely neutral Correct. third party. You you want that because there are a lot of rules around it. So you almost just want to take it out from underneath you. You don't want to be the person involved. So at one point during this whole period, because remember this started in 2008, Britney's fiance, Jason Trawick, is in the process of being added as her co-conservative. That's in 2012. So she's already four years deep into this thing that was supposed to end at the, at the end of 2008, right? Mm. But life is going good from the public's perspective. She has now put out two successful albums. Right. She's had two successful tours that have gone on. She regains... A better custody agreement. She's never given joint custody per se, but she's given a better custody agreement with her kids. She's allowed to see them more often. To the outside world, life is more stable. And I do wonder if there was a time at the beginning before things got bad, if that was the case, if there was a time where even she felt like this was a stabilizing force. She admits in the memoir to having perinatal and postpartum right. depression. Like she was in a bad way going through all of that and going through all of it with the public eyes. So there's a part of me that does wonder that. But those of us that were in her fandom in this 2000, I would say like 2013, 14 is when I really started to be like, is is the Britney that I know ever coming back? This woman that had this explosive choreography that was easygoing in interviews that just seemed to have the world at her feet is that woman ever coming back? And it felt like, she was almost becoming more distant. Like when Circus came out, it still felt very much like Britney Spears. It just felt like a continuation from the right. previous album. But then Femme Fatale came out and some of the um, Britney Jean after that. And it started to feel like, are we really getting just like, is this this it? Like she almost felt robotic in what she was doing. And that's not what people were used to seeing. She had been such a dynamic performer. Right. Much more so than she ever was a, a, a great singer. She was such just a presence on the stage. And now that presence was starting to die out. And for me as a fan, that's when I started to be like, what 
the fuck is going on there definitely was some like some of her live performances i think she one of her mtv ones it was give me more that was right yes. uh right before she was put into the conservator yeah i was like there was definitely some moments that she did appear awkward but also like she had had two children her body was different her life was different she was yep. going through different things so i think there are some you know there's some personality changes that people go through and you know of course there was a lot going on in the background that we just didn't know about she was being medicated and all sorts of things Somewhere in the mix here, and I would say that this was probably a little before 2016, but 2016 is an interesting date because her last studio album that she would produce would come out in 2016, her album Glory, and she was doing her media run for it. And while all of her fans kind of knew that she was in this legal arrangement, or at least any of the people that were close to her and was a nerd like I was, you knew that she was in some sort of arrangement. No one really knew the details of it, though, until she started to in interviews talking about it. And her father would make sure that they were promptly cut. Like there was this big media tour that she did over in the UK. And she had had one, and it's still one of her best interviews to date. She was really comfortable and apparently started talking about the conservatorship. And one of the reasons that she did this album, Glory, which for me was a bit of a return to form, she felt like she was really involved in the process. And she basically said, like, I was doing that. I was being calculated. I was not letting my team, who's had so much creative control over this because I've been in this conservatorship, I'm not letting them have it anymore. Meanwhile, she's in the most successful Las Vegas residency that has ever existed. I think she could have done Vegas for 20 years, oh, well, to be she honest. Was, she was supposed to. I'm sure So that's she was. when we get into some of the nasty stuff. So right at the end of her Peace of Me tour, which had wrapped up its final show in 2018, that gets us pretty close to 2019 when some real shit starts to speed up and go down. She's been doing the same show with just some minor changes along the way for four years now, and she wants she wants to be done with it. They wanted her to jump right back into a Las Vegas residency because why not get another one? And they were offering her even more money, and it was to be called Domination. And some point as she's rehearsing for this, James Spears, Jamie, has a colon, I'll just call it blowout for for lack of a better term. His colon is ruptured, and he's in a very bad way. And they use that as an excuse to cover up the fact that Britney goes MIA. She's just gone from public eye. Come to find out that she'd actually been put against her will into a rehab facility because she had tried to push back on that tour, saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do specifically, she says it was this set of dance moves. It was this piece of choreography that she's like, this just does not work for my body. Am I not Britney Spears? I'm not doing it. I'm not I'm not going to do it. And apparently everyone in the room, according to her memoir, got real quiet. And before she knew it, she was being carted off. And so basically she was told, you're going to go to this program that we have specifically designed for you. And we don't know how long you're going to be there. That just depends on on how well you behave. And we'll let you out. Basically, you'll get to see your kids if you behave and you do your time. And this is done just for you. And by the way, you have to pay for all of it. And it's costing you $60,000 a month. I can't even imagine the pure desperation that she had to have felt in those moments. Like I said it earlier, things like that are like my literal nightmare. Somebody having full and utter control of me that I cannot decide anything. I'm just a, such a like creative, like want to do my own thing kind of person. 
that I don't like being told what to do at all. I remember a year, years ago for my signature on my email, my boss wanted it like structured a certain way. And I was livid about like, it. Nah, I don't want to do that. I did not want to do that. And I <laughs> I will literally joke to this day how he stunted my creativity by such a small Was I thing. that boss? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you have definitely stunted my creativity in many other ways. <laughs> yes. um, that's so simple. So I like and I joke about it, but I cannot even imagine how horrible she must have felt. I I probably would have felt like quote unquote crazy. I would have been nuts. Honestly, I probably would have killed everybody. For me, it's like there's got to be light at the end of the tunnel. If I'm in Brittany's shoes, like, yeah, my kids have been taken away from me. But at this point in 2019, my kids are getting to the point where like adulthood is right around the corner. Pretty soon it won't matter what my father says. My my two sons will be grown men and they can choose to see me whenever they want to see me. The court doesn't have to be involved. But of course, Jamie Spears being the devil, dumb fuck that he is. He's literally the devil. Oh. And trust me, he gets his. I have some news for him about him at the end of this. So somewhere in here, though, so even prior to 2019, like really starting in that 2015, 2016 time period, there's this little movement that starts building up steam, first just among major fans like me, but then soon publicly, and especially by 2019, that was true. And that was the hashtag free Britney movement. People that had realized like this is not normal. It is not normal for someone to be in a guardianship this long where they have successfully put on multiple tours, where they have basically run the economy of a small country single-handedly on their shoulders. All of their songs, all of their choreography, their image, their name, all of it being used to market and make all of this money for all of these other people. In 2019, as we're going through some of these legal battles as Britney is forcibly put into this hold and as we get into 2020, the free Britney movement really starts taking hold. And we're told in her memoir that she first became aware of it in about late 2018, early 2019. And that started giving her some strength that she hadn't had before. She talks about, and there was just this really tragic line. I'm going to bastardize it a little bit because I don't have it right in front of me like an idiot. But Basically, that she realized at some point in the conservatorship that she just needed to give up fighting. That earlier in it, she tried to just kind of like fight for any little piece of control that she could have over it. You know, they would say, I want to start practice at this time. She'd like, well, I want to start it 30 minutes later, you know, just like little things. But by this point, they had beat her into submission to a certain point, And she had literally given up this idea that she would ever be free. And the thought just became, Brittany, just do what you need to do to see your sons. Right, survive. Like, just just do what you need to do. See your boys. Do whatever they tell you to do. Get up. Like, freaking, she described it like Groundhog's Day. It was the same thing. I would be made to go to bed early. My room would be swept for drugs. It, even things as simple as a Tylenol. I often wouldn't be allowed my phone. I would wake up early and do exactly what they said over and over and over again. On so yourself. all of that had started to come out because of the Free Britney movement. Okay. And it had created the environment where the New York Times came out with that documentary Framing Britney Spears that started to put a new spin on what had been shown to us by the media to be this troubled woman, they start almost showing her in the light of, you know, maybe like a Marilyn Monroe or a Princess Diana, someone that was really taken advantage of by the media, someone that the media loved to hate, but whose story was really far more tragic than it was troubled. You know, this this woman, I think not someone like the Tara Reid comment we were talking about earlier, 
like she talks about she went out you know maybe a handful of times during this period but every single time was caught on camera so can you imagine over the course of literal years and that is what everyone is judging your life based on not everything that you did in between Michael, but these about, couple of instances think about okay so like and i'm i'm not going to like harp on the like men versus women kind of thing yeah but let's think about like a johnny cash yeah he was a horrible he's an alcoholic al- addict abuser addict, like, right yes think about um comedians yep you know like think uh chris farley like uh, which who obviously like died from drugs but think about all of these men who are very successful men rock and roll right uh courtney love yes like think yes. about like there are all of these people who are living these crazy lives and like no one is trying to take and put them into a conservatorship and essentially take away their freedom. It just it doesn't happen. Kanye, like it does it's not happening. Her testimony was explosive and it happened basically under public pressure. The judge that had been overseeing it, we don't know all the details because of course all that is very hush hush, but inside track people that I've watched and read while researching this talk about that it was she was getting all sorts of letters and i'm like good like people should be starting to question what went into this arrangement and why has it been allowed to go on for this long through some of those details it would we would come to find out that Brittany had not been allowed to employ her own lawyer with her own money this entire time the free Brittany movement pushes back on that a lot and then her moment in court was this 20 minute long testimony that she had asked ahead of time to get to do, and she'd come in with a prepared statement. I won't go into all of it because obviously it was very long. We can't go for another 20 minutes just reading through that, but the details of it were damning. We'll go into some of them here at the end because I want to go through a section of some of the claims that were made both in that testimony and in her memoir that you know, ultimately were a true crime podcast, and this is what the crime piece of this is, is the abuse that went down in this conservatorship and the fact that justice still has not come to pass almost 16 years after this thing was initially put in place. But after her testimony, it shined a big spotlight onto all the details of the conservatorship, lots of revelations about her complete lack of autonomy, how there were really restrictive conditions put on her like i mentioned the phone she wasn't allowed to drive her own car she wasn't allowed to choose her own security personnel that she paid for people would forcibly keep her in her house it's ridiculous she paid for them but finally after all of this public scrutiny in july of 2021 Brittany was given permission by um, a judge to hire her own lawyer and she would hire Matthew S. Rosengart, who is a former federal prosecutor and a well-known Hollywood lawyer, and everything began to change. Even before he made his first filing, later that same month in July 20th of 2021, a bipartisan federal act was introduced into Congress called the Bipartisan Free Act. It was inspired by Britney's emotional testimony. Florida Democrat Charlie Crist and South Carolina Republican Nancy Mace in the House of Representatives introduced this act, and it stands for the Freedom and Right to Emancipate from Exploitation Act, basically to make it easier for people to ask a judge to replace a private guardian or their counsel while they're in a guardianship or a conservatorship, because 
when you're in a conservatorship over the person, all legal decisions are made by the conservator, including who your lawyer is. By July 23rd of 2021, Britney Spears formally requests the conservatorship be ended via a legal filing through her brand new attorney, Matthew Rosengart. So just three days after that bipartisan act is introduced into Congress. By September of 2021, Jamie Spears resigns. And by November of 2021, Britney Spears, for the first time in nearly 14 years, she was first put in this in January of 2008. And in November 12th of 2021, the conservatorship is finally terminated for okay so it is officially terminated for some reason i felt like it was like still well there are so like you have to imagine this whole woman's massive estate Mm -hmm. has been held in legal filings and has been held by various trusts and conservators over 14 years so my understanding is there are still like some administrative things to unravel but for all intents and purposes she's she's a free woman okay so it's, it's good to go there so Judge Brenda Penny rules to end Britney's conservatorship nearly 14 years after the controversial arrangement first took control of her life, and she would retake control of her estate and no longer be required to pay a team of professionals to oversee her affairs, many of whom, if not all of whom, she never got to choose herself. Yeah. It's a very expensive business, too. I mean, it was millions of dollars a year. I mean, and obviously her estate is very big, so there's a there's a lot of accounting, yeah. but but all of that, if you think like lawyers and in mediations and court appearances like it is a very because it's all estate planning and guardianship type lawyers and it's very very expensive all of this only happened like just to pause and give like an ode to the free britney movement this is one of those see something say something moments where i'm really glad that there were people paying attention and that had watched this woman go through enough to know that something wasn't right and to bring this forward this never would have happened without the public outcry. Like she yeah. even says that she had truly given up. And if it were not for realizing like her friends, she was saying that one of her maids or maybe it was one of her makeup artists, it was someone on her staff that was just like, do you not know what's going on? And she was like, no, what are you talking about? And they showed her videos of her fans marching in the streets of California with signs being like free Britney. And she said that it just started to awaken something in her again, this realization that she could get out of this arrangement that she had the support for it at the end of the day. So just hats off to the free Britney people. And honestly, she's still a little, Britney is still a little bit poo-poo towards the New York Times and some of the others that put out these unauthorized um, oh, she documentaries. TMZ has put out a few things too. They did, but what I will say is different about the New York Times one specifically is I thought it was far more flattering of her. I thought it tried yeah. to stay away from some of the gross controversy around 2008 and all of that and really just tried to be all like, is are all of us really okay with this still going on? Pulse check America. Are, are we representing the freest nation in the world very well by yeah. doing this sort of thing? I just think that that kind of public advocacy is so important when it comes to this. And when we look at other celebrities that are currently in this situation, like an Amanda Bynes, right. or when we look at children that had to be emancipated as children, like a Macaulay Culkin, or if you remember back in the day, the really famous gymnast Dominique Mucciano, mm-hmm. where their parents were stealing money that they had not earned that their children had earned (laughs) those people it never would have become the thing that it did without public outcry without their fans and so it just makes you wonder what happens when you don't have famous people that are in them right these guardianships 
thousands, tens of thousands of them exist in the United States. Most of them do not have the benefit of having the the name Free recognition Britain. of yeah. one of the most popular stars in the world. The other thing, maybe it's not a matter of the control, right? Because even if I was given that level of control, they might be a healthy person. That's Unfortunately right. Unfortunately for Britney, it's not even that she was put in the conservatorship, which I think is completely wrong because it should have never gotten there. There was a million things that they could have done before they did that. But it's not the fact that she was put in the conservatorship. It is that a person who is toxic and unhealthy was put in control. That's she says what I in just her cannot memoir, get over. She says in her memoir, how was it that her father, that it had multiple failed businesses and was, a, and was a documented alcoholic and had had multiple bankruptcies, was allowed to control her estate of at the time something like a quarter of a billion dollars. So this is very interesting. In order to receive Social Security, they interviewed me to make sure that I was okay person, both in like in person, on the phone, had to run like small little back background check, you know, and they needed to make sure that I was a good person and fiscally responsible in order to receive Social Security. So like, I don't understand. Why I, they wouldn't the like, checks and balances? I don't, I don't understand how they have this piece of it. So, it, this is my last part, right? The 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 legal filings that continue, right? Because you're asking the right questions. How was this ever allowed to a happen to be in the first place? You are supposed to have something from a court recognized doctor, an expert in the field, that says that this person is incapable. From what I could find and from what lots of people that know a lot more about the law than I do have tried to find is like, did that ever happen? It never happened. There was no doctor that ever said this woman's unfit. Some of these claims we've already talked about, minor abuses, like the way that they were just kind of needlessly cruel to her. So she had limited to no access to her cell phone at times. They wouldn't let her have coffee. She couldn't drive her own car. She had an allowance of $2,000 a week even though she was pulling in millions of dollars a year. Her father, by the way, as her conservator, had double that. He was paying himself $4,000 a week. She was only allowed $2,000 a week. She has claims that Jamie Spears used her children as leverage to keep her in the conservatorship and to put her in multiple facilities. She claims that Jamie Spears and team stole untold sums of money from her. Some sites I read say that when she went into the conservatorship, she was estimated to be worth something between 150 to $250 million. With as famous she as she was at the time, that sounds about right. But then today, her net worth stands at only $60 million, a small fraction of it what it was before the conservatorship, which was even more troubling because in May of 2010 through May of 2012 alone, she was respectively the number two and the number one highest paid female singer in the world. In those two years alone, she made over $115 million. Under the conservatorship, her tours alone, not including any additional deals, performances, or royalties, just her tours grossed more than $400 million in the 14 years that she was in the conservatorship. And her net worth is now only $60 million. It's wild. She claims that Jamie entered into multiple contracts without her knowledge or consent, some of which were disadvantageous to the pop star, including one with TriStar Sports and Entertainment. She specifically named a former manager, Lou Taylor, that 
Jamie had entered into a contract that they got paid half a million dollars a year, even if Britney did zero work. So even if Britney had no income, they were paying this company half a million dollars. She claims that she was forced to work against her will, both on stage and during multiple stays in rehab clinics that were ordered by her father. The last one, she reports being forced to be actively in clinic for 10 hours a day. And that even when she went to bed, she was not alone, that people would watch her undress, they would watch her shower, that she never, like they completely took away all of her privacy. She also claims that there was abuse around her medication when she was put into that last facility. She was taken off the dose of Prozac that she had been on since she was 18 years old and promptly switched to a high dose of lithium and was given no exit ramp for how to get off the medication or to get out of the facility. And then the most egregious one, or at least the one that they are going to have the best luck getting him on in court because there's actual like hard evidence of it. There are claims that Jamie uh, tapped his daughter's phone and even had an illegal listening device placed into her bedroom without her knowledge. Brittany has said and has maintained since 2019 that she is not going to work as long as all of this is not resolved. While she has put out a little bit of work, most recently she put out a, a song with Elton John earlier this year that did manage to become a top 10 hit. Hold That's me a good closer. One. So I just want to end because all of this is like really, really gross. And I have some commentary that I, I want to do our normal debrief and just ask like, what do you feel led to this? Like all of that. But I want to end like we do with some of our other cases, not just talking about all the gross, grossness right. of the crime, but also just like, I just want to highlight some of Britney Spears' achievements just Let's for a it. second to do this. So since coming out onto the scene in 1998, she has sold somewhere between 150 to 200 million records worldwide, making her one of the best-selling recording artists of all time. Her debut album accounts for 30 million sales alone. She's won a Grammy for one of her biggest hits, the song Toxic, off of her third album. She's the recipient of eight Billboard Music Awards, including their prestigious Millennium Award, which has only gone out to, I think, six artists in their entire history of giving the award. She has won six MTV Video Music Awards, including the Michael Jackson Vanguard Music Award, which is their most prestigious award. She has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She has six number one albums, and every single one of her nine studio albums have debuted in the top three. She has 24 top 40 hits. Five of those are number ones. Her tours since she began in 1998 have grossed more than $600 million. And most recently, like I mentioned, she had the top 10 hit with Elton John after not marketing for years and years. Yeah, and it came out of the blue. Yeah. So all of this combined, her stage and studio career, because remember, she took her first job off-Broadway when she was 11 years old. Her career at 42 years old already spans more than 30 years. You can love her, you can hate her, but there is no denying that the woman was and continues to be a force to be reckoned with in popular culture and in the music industry, specifically, I think, in dance music specifically is where she found her niche. And I'm just hoping that she finds some happiness in all of this because it seems like it took a lot from her. Like it kind of broke her at the peak of her career when she was hitting like her creative mojo in between in the zone and blackout. That was taken from her. Her children were taken from her. Multiple relationships and any sense of privacy were taken from her. I mean, just insanity. So like you hope that after all of that is done, 
that she can find some peace through all of this. She said rather publicly, and we started this podcast, and I'm just going to end it here too, that like I'm, I'm a big fan of Britney Spears. I will defend her. I'm also under no illusions that she's okay. And luckily, we don't have to be under those illusions because she's not either. She said it very publicly in multiple ways. I am messed up from this. I am really messed up. And I don't know that she'll ever return to music other than occasionally, you know, giving us a single with some other artist because it's one that she kind of wants to do and she feels comfortable with the person. Well, it's been it's been weaponized. That's right. Who would? And I think that's my like last going off script, putting putting this stuff away. That's my last thing is ultimately this woman was a was a victim. Everything in her life was weaponized against her. Do I think that she went down a really difficult spiral? Yes. Am I even glad for however long it made sense to be in place that people were there to help her land more softly and get her back on her feet? But then it should have been unraveled. As soon as she went on that first world tour and made $200 million for everyone and their brother, like, let let her out of it. Let her see her children and let her have her life. I just cannot imagine what it's like having to start over at 42. And she even talks about it herself, This that they very much turned her into a child, like the way they had her living. And you could tell by the end of the memoir, her life was made so small and just so itty, itty, bitty that I, I even think to a certain extent, she thinks like a child. So my question to you is, like, where did we go wrong? So I think about, like, Perez Hilton. Yeah. Right, and how... Um, he was. I hate him. (laughs) Right, how horrible he was to Britney. And then when the free Britney movement was at its strongest, he was like, you know, he was he was being canceled, essentially. And he was like, wait, guys, wait a second. And I was like, you're disgusting. You're disgusting. (laughs) You were like, I'm sorry, I will never. I remember when um, TikTok was trying to like make him a thing again, and I immediately would like scroll by. But yeah, I mean, I think I think that's part of it that we messed up and we took villainized her. And the thing about Brittany, honestly, even to the to this day, is that she still has remained, like you said, like she was a sweet, kind-hearted person. She could work like the best of them. Like it's so funny that that like that's the theme of one of her songs because she could like she could hustle yep but that didn't mean that she didn't hustle with kindness and sweetness and i think that's part of why she was almost in a way like that why she was able to be beat down in the sense and that that's of no like disregard to her that's no, no cut at her it's kind of the opposite her, it's yeah, like the, they, they abused her work ethic yeah. yeah um it's why like even to this day like even when she talks about her mom, her sister. There's still like this, the things that I would say as not a nice and kind person <laughs> compared to the things that Brittany says, who is yeah. a nice and kind person, are very different. I would leave them bloody <laughs> yeah. with with the things I'd take everything. And so I do think, and even in the book, I think when you talked about like her ex or relationship she's had or like things with like Justin Timberlake or you know, they pitted her against Christina Aguilera. Like, there's all this this pieces of it. She still tried to remain kind and um, not not passive. That's not the that's the thing. But no. I think kind. And I think it's fair to say, kind of like we said at the beginning, Brittany is not okay. But I think she will be okay. 
I do think that she was put under a long, you know, a lot of drugs, lithium. Those are very hardcore drugs to come off of or to regulate. And so I think some of the oddities that we might be seeing today, I think are part of her. There is, I I do think that she is struggling from a mental health perspective. And I think it is bigger than depression or the conservatorship. I think she truly has some mental health struggles. And that's okay. There are plenty of people who do. Let's normalize that that is okay. I think she needs to probably find a good treatment plan and she's probably terrified in doing that right now. Totally justified. So I think we're going to see her need to trust in some medical professionals that truly have her back and work with them to figure out a good a good plan for her. Unfortunately, like she's lost 15 years and not only of herself and her relationship with her children. Yeah. And so it's going to take some time some time to figure out she has no confidence really. I no. mean, this is like a portrayed confidence, so like she's going to have to like figure that piece of it out. So while she is not okay right now, I think she is going to be okay. I think if this would have continued, I don't know that that is true. I I think Britney would cease to exist, to be honest. I think with I think there would have come a time in the next couple of years that we have heard she would have passed. I think she thinks that too. Yeah. She has a a a quote in her book. She tries to really get across they were trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, because they, they were they, they were realizing then. towards the end of it that my my fans were waking up to this. They were no longer going to have control of me, and if they didn't have control of me, what's the next best thing? Have all my money? Yeah. So just get me out of the way. Right. Then you get to forever have the Spears name. In fact, I'll be a martyr of sorts. You know, and, Britney and- Spears will always be that troubled case and move on. And I just like. And I think they would have succeeded. I think oh. they got – I think in that last treatment facility, they got this close. Well, if you think about it – so I'm just going to like take the conspiracy theory a little bit further if you think yeah. like her children are almost gone. So she's almost done paying Kevin Federline an extreme amount of money. It's something like 20000 a month per child. Yeah. And so right now she's been making money and stuff like that. But like, yeah, once you don't have to pay child support when the kids are 18, you really don't need Brittany anymore. Well, and like – now she's like so taken it back, right? Because right. with her memoir, that was a $15 million upfront deal plus some undisclosed percentage of all royalties. And it has topped the New York Times bestseller list for four out of its five weeks now. Yeah. It is. It has sold millions of copies it, worldwide. I think, it's, I think it was wonderful. It, it was like, don't go into it. Hard. So like- I recommend that anyone that's interested in this topic go read it because you should hear her perspective on it. Do not read that book or listen to that book thinking that you are getting high literary art. You are not. And in fact, by the end of it, I think it is rather devolved and very simplistic. But to me, that that is powerful in its own way. That is indicative to me of how small they made this woman's world that was once – she ran the world. Like she was – she freaking was the industry (laughs) for, for a few of her top years there. And to have it reduced to something that small and then to have her take it back in such a big way. Like she talks about her sister has released a book, her mom has released a book, all while she was in just the throes of this conservatorship and neither of them did well. Her book sold more than a million copies in its first week. And yeah. So I I hope if you're ever, if you're listening to this anywhere, Brittany, I hope that like your message is just like 
you did this. Like right. even without their support, the very first two things that you did without their support were huge hits. You had a top 10 hit with Elton, Elton freaking John I, and then released a book that has topped the New York Times bestseller list four out of its first five weeks in release. Like, Look, I am here when – like I'm here for celebrities, like people of importance, like taking back their story. Yeah. I, I read Prince Harry's memoir for the same yeah. thing. Like I am here for them. I need them to read Spare. To, I haven't oh, yet. I think it's wonderful. But I think it's important for them to speak about their own story in their own words. So like I was here for Brittany. I thought Michelle Williams did a fabulous job on the audio How hard would that have been to like carry this woman's story into one of portray? But she did such a she good did. job voice acting. There were a few times when I almost could imagine I was yeah. listening to Brittany. She even did a good job of like – you know, Brittany has that kind of like, I've smoked my whole life, this fry to my voice. And there were times when Michelle did such a good job capturing that. So listen to the book, read the book, whatever your poison is. And we'll see where some of these legal challenges go. You know, the rumor mill is that once they're done with some of the civil court stuff that she absolutely has intentions to try to take him to further civil court cases or if it's applicable criminal cases. Well, thanks for letting me do this one. I like... It wouldn't have mattered if we found a crime in that story anyway. We have been wanting to talk about like the Britney Spears <laughs> shenanigans. But there for is such crime a long... in there, which yeah, makes there, it fun. <laughs> I was going to say, there is stuff. I have some of the like guardianship knowledge and stuff. So I appreciate it. I think it's a really interesting topic. And, you know, we live on the corner of true crime and pop culture. That's right. I actually, this story is quintessentially that. Oh, so <laughs> this is, listen, this is a nosy bitch story all over it. Merry Britmas, everyone in Nosy Bees. It's Britney Bitches will be one of our last episodes of this year. And we've had just such a fun uh, year hanging out with you guys. As always, we want to hear more from you regarding stories. I know Carla has a little bit of a backlog, but we've worked through a big part of it this we year. Have. So we need some more ideas and we'd love some creative thoughts from you all. So you can hit us up on our socials. I think anyone that's listening to this probably knows how to do it there. And of course, you can hit us up old school style on our emails at nosybeesforlife at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-S, the number four, life at gmail.com. But until next time, bitches. Bye. Bye. And oops, I did it again. I played with your heart. What? I lost it. Okay. You made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback, but at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy, bitches. bitches.